The Riot. What's up, everybody? This is Joe. Jill. Ed. From Pissing Razors. And you're watching Aftershocks TV. TV, baby. All right, Aftershocks TV. We're back once again with everybody for another dose of all things rock and metal this week. Matt and Tom with you as always. And this week, of course, we're joined once again by the one and only head honcho of the CMS Network and host of Chris Aiken Presents. And, of course, original co-host of Aftershocks TV. We got the man himself, Mr. Chris Aiken, who's joining us this week. What's going on, Chris? What up, guys? How we doing? Uh, good, man. Doing good. good, dude. Yeah, thanks for coming on with us this week, Chris. Sure. Um, hey, anytime I can be in front of a camera and whoring, whoring for my projects, I'm in. <laughs> oh, we know. Oh, fucking, we know that. <laughs> well, I, I, I know we chose the right week, Chris, as you said, because I know uh, you got actually like a day. I mean, you actually have a day off. How about that of not doing anything, huh? Yeah, tomorrow, no CMS. So this will be, um, <laughs> this is, it, it's so stupid. It's like, no matter what, though, I can't get a week or a couple of days off of being on the CMS network because mm. now you'll cut this up into, what, two or three segments. So mm. it'll be on three days there. And then we've yeah. got a, a Wednesday. We're doing a, a kind of a limited release, limited edition release. I don't usually release anything on Wednesday other than mm -hmm. the first segment of uh, Chris Aiken Presents. But we're also releasing an interview with uh, Jeff Fab from Black Label Society mm, nice, because nice. they let us be the first ones to to release their the single, okay. but we had to release okay. it. To, we had to tie it to the to the mm. interview, and the single drops officially on Friday, so on Wednesday. So, like any other week, there's too much mm. Chris Aiken on the CMS <laughs> network, but whatever, it's fun. Yeah, never enough Chris Good Aiken, job, man. man. Never enough, never enough. Well, speaking of Chris Aiken Presents, you know, Tom and I were discussing on yeah. our last episode, mm -hmm. you know, we, we brought up a, a gentleman that you, I know, interviewed a handful of months back, which you did a great job on uh, for his book, Turn It Up, My Time Making Hit Records in the Glory Days of Rock Music. Sure. Of course, Tom Worman, the mm -hmm. legendary producer, obviously he's produced, you know, bands like Motley Crue, Poison, Twisted Sister, Ted Nugent, sure. Trick. I mean, just go down the list. He's done it all, um, and yeah, he seems like a pretty cool dude. I mean, a really down to earth guy. Like I said, I'm reading his book right now. I'm about about a third to almost halfway done with it. Uh, I really like it, man. Just you know, I, I like the way he. Yeah, I don't see a lot of ego in in the book, which is really very rare for that time, especially. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you you know what he way, you know? he's an interesting guy because talking to him, yeah, there's ego there. There's no doubt, there's ego there. But whatever, I mean, mm. if I had a wall with fifty diamond records on it or whatever, I'd be no. a little egotistical myself. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah true. Uh, you know. You guys definitely got to talk to him, though. I know I, I forwarded mm, you guys you his email because yeah, right. I, I, you know, I heard you guys talking about him. And I was like, here, here's the publicist. Reach out because he's a mm. he's yeah. a great conversation. And I'll tell you what, I had him. Yeah, and Matt, you probably know this, Tom. I don't know if you do or not, but you usually get offered a thirty minute hit. Mm -hmm. You know, you get offered thirty minutes. I got offered an hour, 
And I used every bit of that and was just barely scratching the surface. I could have probably done three hours with him. Yeah, he's a he, talker, I mean, he talks, yeah. man. Mm, yeah. And he remembers that. You know, he's like 75 years old or whatever he is. Mm-hmm. He remembers everything. He remembers that at the third day of recording of the first oh. Ted Nugent, he had a, a ham sandwich and a Coke. <laughs> like, he remembers <laughs> everything about what he was doing. So... Great, great guy to talk to. Great, I was, I was pleasantly surprised to hear you guys talking about Tom Worman because he was a, he was a yeah. really good, yeah. and I was really excited to interview. Oh yeah, like I don't get super excited to interview very many guys anymore because I've really, I'm waiting for Hetfield and Ozzy, and then I'm done. You know, those are the two that I have not done. Hurry up on Ozzy! Oh, hurry up yeah, on I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I better get it quick. But yeah. I mean, those are the only two, literally, in my list that I want to interview that I have not. So when I get to do these guys, like you know, I get way more excited about a Tom Worman or a Bo Hill or a Brendan O'Brien, you know, producer type guys, yeah. mm-hmm. than I ever will anymore to talk to I don't know Positions. Rob Halford or somebody, sure. you know, just because it's something new and it's something new, that did different. mold my mm-hmm. life. You know, I mean, sure. I have see I have these CD books all up here, and and if we opened them up and started going page by page you'd be like okay tom worman tom worman tom allum tom worman you know mm-hmm. brendan o'brien you know you you just find right. all these names and now we're getting you know we're so lucky to get the chance to actually shoot the shit with these guys one-on-one it's really fun yeah man that was a great interview yeah. you did you know the thing is, yeah. is and, and when we were talking me and tom um you know tom brought up a great this time not tom worman tom brennan I uh, had a great, you know, question. Really, when it comes to, or, or we, we were talking a little bit about producers these days compared to producers back then, um, and you know, and that's what we're going to talk about, obviously, on this segment. And the question is, I mean, like Tom, you know, uh, you had a great question, Tom. You even said, is it even necessary anymore for bands to even have producers in this day and age? Yeah, you see, like going back in the day when we're talking about like the Tom Robbins and Bo Hill and Eddie Kramer and Bruce Fairbrain and Max Norman, Bob Rock, whoever. And we all know the bands that they were associated with. We don't need to, you know, mouth them off. I've got them right here. Mutt Lang, Brendan O'Brien, you mentioned there. Mm-hmm. And part of the scene for me growing up was, and I was like from uh, 12 or 13, I was to buy Kerrang! magazine. And you'd read the review of whomever, you know, the new album by Maiden, whatever. We know that was um, uh, Martin Birch as an example. But mm-hmm. you would look at, as, as important as the album was, the review was, your eyes scanned immediately say, who produced it? Like Michael mm-hmm. Wagner, fuck yeah, I know what it's going to sound like. I know I'm going to mm-hmm. love it. Ron Nevison, god damn it, Ron Nevison. You know, whoever it was, because Ron Nevison made everything sound really kind of tinny and light and like heart and Kiss sure. Crazy Nights. And I liked Ozzy, uh, I think he did Ultimate Sin. They all sounded exactly the same. I hate his production. I hated it then. I hate it today. But my point is, is that you looked at who produced the album and that mm-hmm. became part of the package in your head. Okay, Max Norman was a... I know you mentioned, uh, you talked about Max Norman. You, met, you interviewed Max Norman before, Chris. I remember that. I did, yeah. It's a great interview. Thank and you. And he's, he's, he's one of the best for me out there. He's just one oh, of yeah. the best. Him and Martin Birch are probably just right up there with the two best of all time. Um, but and, and then that's like then, like the 70s, 80s, whatever... Um, and you go back into the 80 Kramers in the 70s, whatever, Zeppelin, Cooper, Kiss, whatever. But then you look at today's, and I think what it is, is that 
you know, we were, I'm not a physical guy anymore. I know, Chris, you're not from listening. Mm-mm. I just, it comes straight. The new Black Country Community just came into my phone two minutes yeah. ago. Awesome. Like, <laughs> I have no fucking idea who produced it. I'm presuming it's Kevin Shirley, but I actually don't know, right? Yeah. And, but the other point of that is, I don't really care. Like, this was a big deal to me before. Because I'm a streamer, I put headphones on, it comes into my phone. I'll check it out because I want to know from a curiosity perspective, but I don't really care as much as I used to. And I think that producers, 70s, 80s, and a little bit of the 90s was important. I don't know if it matters today. I just don't know. I, I don't have an answer. I just, I'm kind of throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it a Nick Raskalinitz? Is it going to be, um, you know, he's obviously, you know, pretty prominent. Uh, obviously, Andy Sneap is mentioned in every second sentence by sure. whomever. And how important are metal producers and rock producers today? And do they carry the weight that they did back in the day? And that's the discussion for tonight, guys. Yeah, you know, um, when you think about just producing, I mean, just going back, right, even before the 70s, right, you think of the 60s, I mean, the first producer that was always known as, like, the guy was the fifth Beatle, right, George Martin, he was, like, the first, like, big, big guy. And then, of Mm -hmm. course, on top of that, really the guy who, after that, who was the big producer was Phil Spector, because he was the guy, you know, I mean... Sure, he was known for showing up all junked out and stuff at half of the uh, you yeah. know the bands that he produced. But he really incorporated that. I remember the big wall of sound of the drums and the bass. If you listen mm. to all those mode, you know some of the Motown stuff. You listen to the Ronettes and you know you know just all those kind of bands. They had that those big banging drums, you know, and, and bass behind the vocals. And you know um, when it comes to hard rock and metal, I mean, yeah, like you said, Tom, really the seventies. I, like you just brought up a name before, obviously, you know, Martin Birch, right? Mm. I mean, he was obviously, you know, the classic name, you know. And when you think about it, too, what I always found interesting about producers is, well, how does a producer become like this, you know, this major, you know, player in all these bands, mm. you know, in their recordings or just really in their careers? And, you know, I mean, if you look at a guy like Martin Birch, right, he essentially started, you know, I mean, he was the the, the, guy, the England guy. He was the English guy, right? That's right. Started mm-hmm. out with Fleetwood Mac, Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. He started that. And then, you know, did bands like Wishbone Ash. But then he really, you know, it was really, like you said, when he started working with, with Deep Purple, then he became sort of, and like we see a lot of producers, he was like sort of the producer within <laughs> that circle, you know, because right. he also produced Rainbow. He produced Whitesnake. Um, later on, he even produced, you know, Black Sabbath with Dio, you know, and so that's, I think, you know, when you look mm. at that, I think that's really where that all started with those guys. And maybe that carried, I think, over into the 80s or even the 70s, you had like Ted Templeman. He, and same thing. He, his was more like a, you know, same thing, a regional location. He was the Northern California guy with Montrose and Sammy Hagar and the Doobie Brothers, you know, doing all those bands until eventually... He went down to the Sunset Strip. He got big enough, and then he was Van Halen and, and a couple, you know, Bullet Boys and bands like that. Mm. But yeah, one of the things is, like I said, it had to do with regions. You know, you find this producer that put out a, a great record, and then everybody just wanted to get that sound. And then, you know, like, like Martin Birch and Tempo Minutes stuff, they just found every band wanting to work with those guys. You know, but didn't Birch get locked into Maiden for a contract? If, I don't know if that's right or not. That when he, when he, mm. what was his, was his. Did he do a number of the Beast? Or did he, he did, yeah. He did. He did he most did, of those. Uh, no, did records. he do? I'm trying to think when he started. Did he do Killers? He did Killers, right? Did he do Killers? That escapes me now. Good question. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know I gotta, off the top of my head. I should know that. But anyway, but whenever he, he did started, Killers. He, killers is the first he one did, he right. did. Okay, so Killer okay. is on to whatever. Fear um, of the to, Dark. 
Yeah, Fear of the Dark, okay. right? Which I'm not a fan of. I think that's a poor album, but that ain't his fault. It sounds good. No, no, it's not. I, yeah, no, it sounds great. I'm just not a fan of the songs. But did, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he locked into a contract with Maiden? Probably paid handsomely, and he said, "You can't produce anybody else. You're our guy. Like you are sixth star." Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. I, oh, I don't okay. know if that's true, but I heard that rumor before because I don't oh. know if he has a discography outside the Maiden. I have it right now in front of me, and he does have a few. That might be somewhat true because I'm looking at it and. From like eighty-two to ninety-two, he didn't do anything but Maiden. And I don't know if that's because he had oh, a contract. I mean, the only thing that he did from eighty-two to ninety-two that wasn't Maiden was the slided in record uh for White Snake. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, the that's only right. thing that that's the only yeah. thing listed. And everything else is pre eighty two for him. Yeah, so it's probably correct somewhat that he was made and probably said, here's a shit ton of money, he ain't producing anybody. Uh, um, and he said, fuck yeah, I'll take it. He's a, he didn't care. And he died yeah. young, unfortunately, but he was one of the best for me. His sound, like You listen to Heaven and Hand, Mob Rules, the fucking sound off those things, they're 1980 and 81, respectively. Mm -hmm. yeah. Unbelievable. Just, yeah, just they still hold up. Still unbelievable, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And the other factor, too, with producers, you know, traditionally, they also, if you, if you think about how a lot of those guys get big. They st they really would start off and really gain their nor notoriety by being sort of that go-to guy. They either have a studio for one, mm -hmm. same thing, maybe it, it, within like a you know like a specific region or scene, I should say, or a genre subgenre that was sort of became new. So when a particular like style of rock or metal really took hold, like of a new generation sound, it, it's usually the guy who recorded maybe that first one or two bands that kind of bro you know broke out. Now, all of a sudden, hey, we, everybody wants to go to those guys. Like, I mean, we'll take examples. There's a million examples for that. I mean, the 80s, you had, obviously, sure. death metal, right? You had the Scott Burns and Monty Connor Roadrunner Records mm -hmm. thing, right? They, I mean, they just took everybody. Any death metal band wanted to be with those guys. Mm -hmm. You know, a guy, me and Chris, I interviewed a year or so ago. Randy Burns was sort of the crossover guy in, in Southern California. Yeah, uh, doing like suicidal and excel, and of course he went to Megadeth, and you know, yeah, I mean East Coast. You had Tom Soros with, with the crossover there, in the studio in Rhode Island. I mean, you got Ross Robinson, obviously. You know, in the '90s, think about him with Corn. I mean, once he did Fear Factory first and Corn. That's right. Next thing you know, everyone him. was mm -hmm. going to the Indigo Ranch in L.A. Limp sure. Bizkit, Slipknot. I mean, right. there's so. I mean, if you look at if you really look at most of those big producers, that's really how. They started Rick Rubin, right? One of the biggest producers ever. He, hip hop guy started, right? You mm -hmm. know, and he's a, he's a different guy because he he was, you know, that's just something we'll talk about too. Is really what producers, if you think back to those classic producers in the eighties and so forth, which ones? A lot of producers were great within a, a specific sound, right? They had that mm. sound locked in. Then I they think most. So Don't you think most? most? Yeah. Well, most, you know. yeah, exactly. But then eventually. Right, they get so big where it's like, okay, you know, let's. I, they want to do something different, right? And it never works. It very rarely works out. That's why I got like maybe Rick Rubin was one of the only few that was able to really, you know, span different genres. You know, he did metal, he did rock. You know, Chili Peppers, Slayer. I mean, you know, Black Crows on top of the hip hop and the rap. So mm -hmm. he was, I think, sort of an anomaly when it comes to producers. But yeah, they're usually known for that one sound. And then when they try to do something else, it just usually fell flat it just never really worked historically well it's because yeah. you know in in the day and i i would think up until probably the late 90s i guess is when it really changed but um those guys were like a fifth member of the band mm -hmm. yeah. and because they exactly. were like a fifth member of the band 
they had a specific sound. There's a reason. There's a reason. And, and you know, Brendan O'Brien is one I always go to. Sure. If you pick out, if you look at Brendan O'Brien's catalog, it's all bands that sound the same. It's Pearl Jam. It's mm-hmm. sure. it's uh, Black Crows. It's uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's bands like that that all have that kind of roots rock mm-hmm. sound. It's because he fit in as like the the fifth member of those bands. You know, same with Martin Birch. Same with same with you know Max Norman. And when they when they try it, it's just like anything else. When Sammy Hagar goes to Van Halen, people don't like it as much. You, you know, it's a, and it's the same with the producer. You know, when you try to wedge the Deep Purple guy in with Corn, yeah, that ain't gonna work real well. It's just not gonna mm. sound right. But probably, I think probably the biggest of them, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, was probably Mutt Lang in terms of the pure mm. volume and numbers that he did. Because obviously we know the Def Leppard, mm. Back in Black, Shania Twain. I mean, she's, you know, she sold 20 million albums. Back in Black sold 50 million. Hysteria mm. sold 17 million. Yeah. And, and whoever else he did, I don't know what couple of bands well, out there. But yeah, he, he was, was probably right. pure, from a numbers perspective, he was... I'm guessing the biggest of them all, just by sheer volume. Oh yeah, I, I said by record sales, yes. But in terms of the amount of albums he produced, if you actually look at the number of albums he, he hasn't produced that many nope. albums for a guy mm-hmm. that big. Yeah, right. I mean, you said well, I mean, he did, obviously there's a good thirty here. Well, yeah, but that's not that much. You can no. if, if you if you think about going back to this guy was around in the late seventies. You think about there until now, mm-hmm. thirty albums is not that much. You you want to look no, at it's not. It's not. You know, you look at what the was his last one, so Chris? Forth. What's the last one he did? And you're in front of you. You've got it up. Ashley Clark in 2015. No idea. Who Before that, no Muse, idea. Muse in 2015, okay. and Maroon Music. Five in in 2010, and Nickelback in 2008. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's the thing with Mutt Lang. I and I I've always joked about this. If I was a new band, I would give everything to have Mutt Lang do my record. Right. I'd mm. be like, you can have 90 percent of my whole entire career. If you'll produce my debut record, because when you look at Hysteria sold 15 million records, I believe um, Pyromania sold 15 million. Back in Black is still selling records. Uh, and Highway to Hell. Don't forget Highway that. to Hell. hell yeah. And for those about to rock. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Foreigner Four, which everybody just glosses Jeez. over like about, that didn't happen. That <laughs> he did hell, Foreigner yeah. Four. Dude, this guy, cheered, this guy churned out 10 million record sales every yeah, yeah. time he touched it. Yeah, you know, he took Def Leppard after they were done, and yeah. did that um mm. that what Adrenalize or whatever, and that yeah. sold like six million records, and no one likes that record, yeah. but people mm-hmm. bought it because it sounded like a Mutt Lang record. Yeah, I, yeah, he he's he is definitely the exception to the rule, though. I mean, yeah. there's, there's not another guy like him. No, I agree, I agree with you, but I think yeah. that like when you had a Martin Birch or you had a Mutt Lang or you had a whoever it was, you know, an Eddie Kramer. Um, they became a selling. They became part of the PR. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. like mm-hmm. produced by. I mean, today nobody fucking. Maybe if you're Andy Sneap or maybe a Nick Rasklinitz, whatever, you will get a mention. But for the most part, you take any metalcore, death metal, whatever. I don't think I. I've lost track of who's producing albums because mm-hmm. I don't live in a physical world anymore. I've got nothing to read. It's almost like it's too much fucking hassle to look it up on Wikipedia. Who produced the new whatever? I just listen to it. I go, that sounds right. And what'll happen is I'll end up listening to the production and go, fuck, that sounds really good. Who produced it? Then I'll go sure. searching for it. 
So mm. it's almost like I'm not curious anymore, and I used to be. Like I can have a discussion about Tom Worman and Bo Hill all day long. Ask me from who produced the. La- I mean, if I jump on, this is just from a curiosity perspective. I jump on to my for Apple Music right now, and I'm gonna. So this is what came in, right? Black Country Communion, David Reese, Bruce Dickinson, Firewind, Accept, New Song, Ingested. I don't know who produced any of those. I know I love I think, the bands. I well, don't know who produced them. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I think why. It's because everything's recorded digitally. Yeah. And it really all sounds the same. I mean, you, like, mm-hmm. you know, that'll go to our question we'll talk about here in a, in a bit in terms of is it even necessary to have a producer? I think these days it's more about the mixing than the actual production and mm-hmm. the producing. You know, because, yeah. you know, I mean, that's just, my, that's just my, my opinion. I mean, I'm not saying it's still, you know, it still pays to, you know, have a good a producer. But, you know, you're not recording an analog anymore. So you're not having these, you know, everything's recorded the same way and everything sounds the same. So I think it really, it's, it's I mean, you can get, obviously, a sonic difference from certain, you know, but that, like I said, once again, that's more, I think, the mixing than the production. And oh. so, you know, I think that's, a re- like you said, Tom, that's the reason why they're not really a big selling point. And on top of like, the other point you made is because, yeah, people aren't really buying physical products. So it's like, well, you know, it's it's part of the whole devaluing of music, right? I mean, everyone just wants to know these guys put out some new music, cool, and we check it out, great, sounds great, okay, what's next? And that's it, you know. It's not these big like we've talked about before, these big Opus records anymore, where you're going to bring in this Rick Rubin or some of these big producers to, you know, get you know make this amazing sounded record. You really just want a couple of singles on each record to go out and tour and then come back and do it again two years later, you know. See, I'm going to disagree a thousand percent with your point. Go for it. I'm going to tell you, and, and I have a simple way to do it. You know why you don't know why, who the producers are anymore? Because there aren't any. There's not. These guys are all recording through, sending MP3s back and forth. There's no, there's no producer. You know, yeah. to, to have a producer, you got to have the band get together and produce something. Well, that's why it's about the mixing now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. why Mayor Applebaum or guys like that are exactly. are monstrous because exactly. that they they're the ones making the thing. But there's no producers anymore, you know. And quite honestly, even the old school bands, they don't want they don't want to give away what little tiny bit of money there is. That's mm-hmm. it. You know, they don't they don't want they get a twenty thousand dollar advance. They don't want to give exactly. you know they don't want to give five grand of that to Bo Hill to come in and and do anything you know because what's he gonna do he's gonna take mp3s and lay it on a track exactly that's all he's gonna do so i'm saying the you digital know? stuff exactly but, that's the thing but here's why i disagree the biggest part of it is i i think one of the big fact one of the big you know reactions to that is we no longer have big bands hmm. we don't have anybody controlling song quality if I don't know who Dokken. I'll just throw a name out there because he has a new record. Dokken doesn't have anybody standing over his over his shoulder saying these two songs work. These eight stink. Get rid of them. Go back to writing again. Mm. That's what these producers did back in the day. They would, you know. And Matt, we've had interviews with with uh, yo, um, what's his name? Burns, Randy Burns. Burns. We interviewed Mm -hmm. Paul. Was it Paul? Paul Fig from. You know, and they all said, yeah, yeah, but they all said the same thing that the producers weeded out the bad stuff. Yeah, there's nobody weeding it out anymore. It's here. Here's 20 grand, you know, shit on a Mm. shit on a shingle and send it back to me. Mm. And that's what they all do. 
it's 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 a different but, climate and there's no there's no good bands coming from it but i think what what you'd often hear back in the day is that producers were often swapped out mid-recording like there was like the story of jim steinman and Mutt lang working with them um, uh, because Meatloaf, they couldn't yeah. get the best out of them or def leppard changed producers and then brought Mutt lang back in again because it wasn't mm -hmm. working out or he couldn't mm -hmm. get the best out of them or i remember i was listening to um a uh, to the decibel geek guys and they were doing the best of, and worst of warrant it's really good and they were going back and you know the the warrant guitar players they weren't good enough the producer said those guys can't play shit so they brought in whomever some session player to play in a couple of the albums but right. the producer had such um the producers had such power they could make those decisions i yeah. think chris is exactly on that i mean now you've got some guy that they're hiring for here's a check for ten thousand dollars points don't even matter anymore because nobody sells shit even the big bands Mm -hmm. And then the producers have no power. They just make it sound good, and everybody goes, "Check, let's run with that." But they got—they have no power. Those big guys, the yeah. Bow Hills of the world, they fucking kicked ass. Or Tom Worman, Michael Wagner, whoever, um, they actually kicked ass in the studio. And those ba there's no bands anymore. That and there's no and, and as a result of that, there's no producers anymore. There's guys who produce, but they don't have the power like they had back in the day. I think Chris is absolutely right on that one. Yeah, yeah you're, and, you're, and the, you're right on the power. Yes, yeah, so good. Well, I was just going to say, and the guys that are, you know, producing the big guys, they're nobodies. Hmm. Who the fuck is Greg Fiddleman? Yeah. Yeah. Produced the biggest band in the world on the biggest album of the world last year, Metallica. You know, who is Greg Fiddleman? In mm -hmm. then 15, 20 years ago, would you have had a guy that you couldn't name a second record from producing Metallica? Or you too, or you know the Rolling Stones or whatever. No, you would have no. had, you would have had. Um, what's his name? Um, with the beard, which um, Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. Mm -hmm. You would add Rick Rubin in the room. You would have had, you know, uh, Kevin Shirley, somebody like that. You would have had a name guy in there. Now it's Greg Fiddleman. Why? But because Metallica doesn't want to pay him either. But does yeah. but doesn't that does that even prove the point of the um, podcast? Like Metallica, arguably the biggest band in the world, and fucking nobody knows who produced their new album. Like, think about that. <laughs> no, well, nobody. Well, like said, but I, nobody I, cares, I, Matt. Like, nobody well, gives a shit. It sounds good, so let's do it. Because nobody again, the music it's 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 free now and it's devalued. You know, and I think that's a big part of it. These bands, like you said, they're. They could just throw up five singles, you know, an EP. Like, you know, we got these extra songs. Let's just put it up on, on Spotify. I mean, there's none of this like, well, let's hold this now and let's wait and see for our next record what we're going to use it for. You know, maybe we can use it for something else or whatever. No, right? They could just throw it up now. It doesn't matter because it's free. You know, in the past, yeah, they right. wouldn't just throw anything on a record because they had to be careful because you're selling this big product here. You want to make sure that you've got, you know, a, a, a decent, you know, plate of, of good songs on there. Now it's like, eh, whatever, you know, as long as we, we got three hits, we figure out, okay, the rest are all filler. Who cares? Sure. It's free anyway. You know what I mean? So why are we yeah. going to pay exactly someone to come in and we're giving this music away anyway? And so why, like you said, like Chris was saying, why then spend 20 grand on, you know, throwing it down on a guy who's going to just, you know, like I said, like I said yeah. it's just it, the whole thing is absolutely changed. and it, It's you know, totally yeah. different. And, and dude, one of, the, one of the other things that I, I notice on a lot of records, um, I don't know if you guys do or not. Matt, you probably don't because you don't. I, I'm thinking most of the music you listen to is kind of done in like one or two sessions. You know, a lot of the Doomer stuff. Um, Tom, you may hear this a lot more. The records don't even sound the same anymore mm. from start to finish. 
because they do they they have mm. different producers like That's right. you know right, you yeah. guys know everybody knows my love for the band plush and they just put out an ep that sounds like it was recorded in two places or at two different times why because it was half of it was done by johnny k half of it was done you know a year and a half later by um the four horsemen the the nixon's guy right. um you know and and it sounds it when you listen to it you hear a distinct difference in your headphones people don't care anymore people no. you know it, it won't stop them from selling you know a hundred cds at, at a show it's not going to stop them so they don't give a shit you know back in the day dude you remember what who's the producer that did uh in utero um what's his name oh um, I know, I know. What's his face mixed it? Uh, Andy Wallace, believe no, the it, guy in it. utero, because he did it twice. Like he he submitted it, and then the Bush record Ray, label was it. No, it's um in utero. Hold on, should have probably been a little more prepared here. <laughs> uh, um, who did, Steve Albini. Oh, oh yes, that's right. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah. Remember, yeah, yeah. And, and Albini, mm -hmm. they brought him in to do an anti Nevermind record. Yeah. And the record label said, no, we're not, we're absolutely not accepting it. So then he redid it and smoothed it out and gave them what they wanted. And, you know, take that for whatever it's worth. In today's world, they would have just threw it out there. True. Right. They and absolutely would have just threw it out there. Yeah. And you just put up a good point. You know, that's, that's a, a point right there because the labels used to, you know, they would control a lot of that. They could say, no, we don't want you using this. And so forth. I mean, there's no. I mean, how many of these bands we hear now are on labels for one? True. And obviously, and like I said, and they're not going to shell it. They don't have the money to shell out and, and sure. this big budget to hire, you know, the big producer to come in for the record. So it's yeah. That's another reason why that's producing is you know. But but I do want to stress though that mixing is is what it's about because that's what's going to get your sonic sound is from mm -hmm. the mixing. And there's some great mixers out there. You know, Chris Collier being one of them. That's a oh, guy, yeah. obviously. I mean, how many bands have we interviewed that Chris Collier's been there, you know, their mixer? You know what I mean? Um, Dave Otero's, you know, this one guy, uh, We when we interviewed uh, Pissed On Chris, that guy is, he's an he's yeah. a, a extreme metal guy, but he mm. just, he did a record last year from, uh, like, more of a rock band, and this thing, this production was, I mean, the sound was unbelievable. I mean, so, I mean, I think that's why now, I mean, the, you see a lot of guys, even when Randy Burns, he came back, he's not producing anymore, he's mixing. Yeah. Everybody's mixing now, you know, because that's really where people just want to get a certain sound. You know, they don't mm -hmm. care about I make my songs hits on the radio, that kind of crap anymore. No, it's just about get this sonic sound for us, and that's what we're paying for. But and I think so, that's yeah. but I think that's a lifestyle thing too, because everybody, all of us, and anybody who's going to watch this over the next week or whatever, we all, we all invested in speaker systems and pioneer speakers and bose or whatever so you you almost couldn't wait to put on oh i know back and black is going to sound great on this i know run to the hills is going to sound oh, yeah. like you had songs in your head to mm -hmm. match your speaker system now we're listening to, i you walk around i would say 80 percent of the world's population is listening on airpods and that and that so the so the the, the immersion in the music and the producer, it's gone as as, as generations. Oh, yeah. like if, if I ask my kids what what's a music producer, they wouldn't even know what that physically what that term means. They don't mm -hmm. they don't know. They They'll don't think care. it's an AI product. 
<laughs> of course they would. Yeah. They just don't know. So, like, I mean, I, we all did it. You know, the big kind of speaker system, the stack system, mm-hmm. and you had your amplifier and your this and your that, your turntable and your your two your two decks and your disc came in in whatever, mid-80s or something. And that was an experience to kind of, you know, put the CD on and put the turntable and you sat back as further yeah. back as you could to just wait for back and back to pump out those days seeing how back. loud you could turn it up before it, it would start yeah. distorting and whatnot yeah Hell yes. and then, you, and then, you, then you t- yeah, i was going to say text your buddy we didn't have phones and you couldn't wait for your buddy to call her and say you gotta fucking listen to this and you were all excited mm. by it when is mm-hmm. the last time you said that to anybody about music i just put these on point. and i True. just go for yeah. a walk and it like i consume music doing everything like it used yeah, to too. be in mm-hmm. a stationary place or it used to be in your car right that that was it i do Walking around the house, doing shit, listening to mm-hmm. podcasts, listen, listen to your CMS, whatever. So we all consume music difference, differently, which plays back into who produced it. I don't really care. Prime example, that Metallica guy, I already forgot his name, by the way. What else did he produce? <laughs> Seriously, what else did he do? Now I'm up. <laughs> Look well, him up. <laughs> well, here's the thing about Metallica, it. though, quickly. You know, if you think about the historically with Metallica, I mean, before they had, you know, maybe Bob Rock come in. If you look at back right when they started out, Fleming Rasmussen, okay, there's a guy who did those records up until Injustice for All. I mean, that guy, I think he produced maybe a Blind Guardian record and one or two of those and maybe one of the band. That guy hasn't done anything other than than mainly Metallica. And so Metallica, I think, is just one of those bands that, you know, I think because they they probably maybe wanted more control. They never really had, like, this big in-house. I mean, even Bob Rock, right? He was like a... Hmm. The only thing he had done up to that point was obviously was Doctor Feelgood. I mean, that's how they, they that's why they, everyone wanted to bring him in. It's just once again because of the sonic nature he Sound. got on, the, on yeah. that album. Um, but they always they, they were always not the, they, they weren't the types to go to Rick. They did do the Rick Rubin with Death Magnetic, but they usually didn't go for the big producers. They usually had sort of these other kind of guys come in, which was interesting. Sure. You know? I mean, some bands did that, right? Not every band yeah. wanted to go like get the big producer guy, you know, which is you know, I mean. Uh-huh. You know, I'm, I'm looking mean, at I'm looking up Fiddleman by the way, and mm-hmm. I, he's engineered a shit ton of records that you know. So you engineered. So you he's engineered a bunch of, but just a, as far as things produced. that he's produced, mm-hmm. and even the Metallica, he's a producer slash mixer. So, mm-hmm. so you know, he's he's kind of doing both roles mixer. there. But he did 72 seasons, and he did S and M two, and he did Hardwired, which. That should not have sold him a gig for the next one because Hardwired sure. has terrible sound. Mm-hmm. But um, he did a couple of Slipknot records. Uh, he okay. did Black Sabbath. Oh, that's engineering. Black Sabbath 13. Um, all right, he's a yes man for Metallica. He also did Lulu. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> but is it is it all rock and metal shit? Is, he, is there, are there any other um, genres in there? It looks like it's mostly metal. You know, Jet... Mm. Get born the jet. Well, that's engineering again. Let me. I just want to stick to producing. American Head Charge. Okay. Wow. Uh, Life of Agony, Broken Valley. Interesting. Okay. Um, and this was more engineering and mixing, right? No. Well, these are. I'm. I'm trying to read only the ones that say producer or producer okay. mixer. Got it. Um, American Head Charge, The Feeding, Slipknot Volume Three. Um, a band called Sour. Never heard of that. Nope. Um. Audio Slaves first one. Okay. Done, well, he's he's done a lot of engineering with like Chili Peppers. He engineered Accident of Birth from Dickinson. Okay. Bush. So he's I mean he I guess okay, he's not yeah, this okay. nobody that we're that no, we, we just kind of made him yeah. out to be. No, we, we just, just don't know. know his catalog. Yeah, we we know, just don't yeah. know. But again, that goes to the whole point of this this whole conversation is 
How come we don't know? I'm, I'm reading stuff all the way back to 1997, and we don't know yeah. this guy. We don't know because we're not invested in it. Like you, you yeah. mentioned Martin Birch there, and we could all name off his because I think actually Richie on Focus on Metal like a couple of months back or a year ago did like top five or top ten Martin Birch produced albums. You can mm. do that. You can have that type of discussion on previous mm -hmm. generations, previous decades. If I was yeah. to do that today and said, like I'm looking at uh, Mark Lewis, who incidentally produced Dying Fetus and Whitechapel, two bands I absolutely love, right? I, couldn't, I don't know anything else he's done. I just don't know it, right? But my other question here would be, Who's the big guy of today? Because I think um, Kevin Shirley is probably up there. He's mentioned a lot. Obviously, he's involved in Made in Heavily BCC. Um, what else? He's doing Blackstar Writers, Mr. Big. He's been involved in. Who, like, who are the big guys of today? We can mention. We can Him talk about Sneep. the 70s. Andy Sneep, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Him and what? Sneep, and that's about it. Hmm? Well, Rascal Linux is, is big. Yeah, I mean, Rascal Linux still right, does yeah. a lot of stuff. Okay, but, good call. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you know what? Guys. Those are guys like even this. There's a reason that this Fiddleman guy. I'm. A, I know I'm stuck on this guy, but there's a reason this guy's not in that in that world because none of these records sound very good. Uh, there you go. I mean, well, honestly, exactly. 72 C's. I, I love Metallica, but do you would you consider that not amazing? Sonically sound, good? No, 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 nope. no, no. Or no, Hardwired no. or Lulu nope, no. or you no. know or Death Magnetic. He did all those. Yep, not at all. None of those sound very good. World Painted Blood by Slayer. Not a real good sounding no, record. I mean, it's sound, okay. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, uh, yeah. Slipknot, the Slipknot Gray Matter and Slipknot um, Volume 3. Not their nah, not their best sounding nah, records. Stuff, no. Life of Agony, Broken Valley. Not their best sounding. I mean, that's right. what I'm saying. This guy does a lot of mediocre work. Mm -hmm. we, we yeah. He doesn't do anything that'll stand out, which is yeah. why we don't know him. Yeah, I guess it's about who you know, and he must know a lot of people, and that's why he's got. But a lot of yeah. those producers of the past were bigger, like a Bo Hill back in the Rat days and the Wing or whatever. He was like almost bigger than the bands. He was well, commanding mm -hmm. huge fees and points and whatever. Like the producers of today are not bigger than the bands. To your point, Chris, they probably paid this guy a flat fee of whatever it is. I have no idea what that world is, but they paid him X amount of dollars. And he went okay because he has yeah. no power over the bands. Whereas before, Bo. Winger rat went to Bo Hill or whatever well, it was and warned and said, "We want you and you get you can have me for this amount of money." Well, Bo Hill was also no yeah, he was like the in-house producer, so he was just that guy, and he had that formula that just was proven sure that did. it worked, and that's how you said, and that's how he got that power is because well, yeah, every band he put on MTV, those two hits they came out with that that's you it. know the first Kick-Ass tune and then the Power Ballad. We're all hitting with, like you said, with Winger, yeah. with Warrant, you know, all those bands. Did he write so. songs? I don't know if Bo Hill wrote songs, did he? No. no. He, Bo, I, I've interviewed Bo before. We had, yeah, we had him on CMS at one time, long time ago. Bo, Bo was almost like an in-house manager slash producer. Cause, and, and that's why all the rat guys hate him. Because yeah, exactly. he was like, hey, you got to be here at 10 o'clock in the morning, period. And they were like, oh, not even coming in until 8. And he was like, tough shit, get here. You know, you want to go party and do coke? Go ahead, but get your ass in here because you're going to be recording. Yeah. You know, he was, and, and that part is long gone. There is no way any producer is telling any band nope. anything unless Max Norman's taking a gig with some local band, you know, that nobody's heard of. Well, speaking Only of Max Norman, you know, and, and that's what I want to bring up too is, you know, a lot of these producers too, if you look at a lot of them, you know, like you said, the Bow Hills or whatever. You know, even even in the '90s or so forth, or whatever bands they did, even up to till today, a lot of them don't hold up. 
You know, I'm going to use Max Norman as one. You know, I know mm. he's, he's a legendary producer, but, and Chris, you know, I, I know I think you might disagree with me on this, but, you know, that Watchers record he did, I thought that was terrible sounding. Awful. The, which I one? Mean, Sabbath the, Highway? No, no, no. That, that was, not, no, the second album. The, um, oh, yeah. That was that called again, their second album. Um, uh, yeah, well, forget, it's, but, it's but forgotten, whatever. but that tells us something. <laughs> well, what, what I'm saying is, yeah, that first Watchers was, was amazing because they've got a great guitarist in the Watchers. And mm. that second album that Max Norman did was just muddy guitar, swampy. I mean, you couldn't hear it at all. And they're, they're Black that Abyss. Mm. There you go, Black Abyss. Terrible. I thought that was an absolute... I don't know. I wish Don Ducci would have just produced the record again because... Black, I mean, the uh, Sabbath Highway was fantastic sounding. Mm-hmm. I mean, sonically and everything. So I think a lot of those, you know, producers, they yeah. were, they, they had their time. And uh, Toby Wright was another one. I thought, I thought, you know, he put out some decent records. Sure, without I Allison never Jesus, was so, but, on his. But I was band never huge. No, all. I was never at all. The sound, you know, guitar wise, he never got the crunch. It was all just sort of blended in mm-hmm. and in the background. I always thought he was very overrated producers. And we could talk about, you know, producers who are overrated and underrated. I mean, the one I think that no one talks enough about. I think he's probably the best producer for metal over the last 30 years was Terry Date. I mean, all those Pantera yep, records, right there. That's Prong, right. the Soundgarden records, Bad Motor Finger, Louder Than Love, early metal church records he was engineered on, Deftones, Incubus, White Zombie, and he was, for all those bands' big records was Terry Date. He doesn't get enough credit, in my opinion. Mm. It's because he doesn't and he produced the last, himself. And he True. produced the last Larry Petless, which, which yeah. arguably is yeah. not a great yeah. produced album. No, Petless is not great, and that's Terry Date. But I like the album, but it's a little bit muddy. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, well, but that's Slayer these days. You know, Slayer yeah. had, truth, truth be told, Slayer had to get muddy to replace the sonic awesomeness of Jeff Hanneman with Gary sure. Holt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, right. they, they mm-hmm. went with a guy that is a definitely, I mean, nobody listens to Exodus for their, um, you know, sonic brilliance. They right. listened to it for the for the punch in the face. Exactly. And and sure. Jeff Hanneman brought something that needed to be sonically awesome that mm-hmm. when they when they switched guys, they just didn't have a need for that anymore. I mean, look at all any of the Slayer stuff with, with Gary Holt just sounds it sounds like you turned your fucking speakers up all the way and mm-hmm. hit record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, Slayer are broken yeah. up. Oh, no, they're not. So, <laughs> Well, we'll hear their next album, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. When they, when, yeah. They, when they schedule their next tour, too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Even though I do like the new yeah. Kerry King track. I got it. I'm a fan. I, okay. When I listen. Yeah. When, look, when Matt and I had a segment on I know, Chris, you spoke yeah. about it with, um, with Eric. But, um, you know, I like it. I mean, listen to it. First of all, I said, oh, fuck, it's exactly like Repentless. It's like another Slayer mm-hmm. track. But I said, well, that's kind of what I want. So what am I complaining about? So I think yeah. it's a good track. Nothing new. But I like it sonically because you know i like this like the vocals is sure. what it is bring it on well mm-hmm. and, and i'll throw a quick plug here for something that's not any of us but um for those of you that are um fans of carrie king's band and want to learn more about it our our um compadre on the cms network scott bowling did an interview with phil demo that'll be out on thursday very sweet cool. talking about exactly that about carrie king band so nice very cool 